You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. In your Bible, in the book of uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 11. So Aaron was here last week and he preached on 2 Samuel, chapter 10. Uh, last week I was in Ord, I preached on... 2 Samuel chapter 11, so it, it worked well. So we would have a continuity of what he started last week. So um, so I'll, I'll be mentioning names here, names uh, of uh, famous individuals, and I would like you to answer it in your mind, the common denominator that these individuals has. Uh, Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods, Bill Clinton, and Monica Lewinsky. So we probably have the idea of where I'm heading here, correct? So, and sometimes, you know, we ask ourselves, why would these people give so much for so less? You know, these people built a lot of things, but they, they just, you know, they were just willing to do something that, that ruined those things that they built for years. And when you open the Bible, the Bible does not talk about differently from, 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 from what we are seeing nowadays. Because uh, the Bible has many records of great men of God who got themselves into trouble also. And the same as the men that I've mentioned earlier. So the Bible does not leave anything out. The Word of God, the Bible paints a man as he really is. And I am, I'm happy for that. I'm glad for that. You know, and because if we all have our records of victory, success, then we would probably give up and we would surrender in our lives, right? And I'm not saying that we should take courage and, and encourage men from the failures of other people, but what I'm saying is that the Bible tells us the truth about, about men as they are. You know, when you go to the book of Genesis, you would encounter a man named Noah. And Noah is a man of faith. Noah preached righteousness for 120 years. And he even built a temple. I, I'm, I'm sorry, he even built an ark when nobody has ever seen a rain. So Noah was a man of God. But not very far from that account, you would encounter the records of Noah being naked and the record of his drunkenness. So Noah disobeyed the Lord. And then when you turn the book of um, Genesis, you would also encounter a man named Abraham. Abraham is a man of God, and he was righteous, and he, he willingly followed and obeyed the Lord when the Lord commanded him to abandon his, his, his fruitful town and move to a different uh, town, which is uncertain. You know, and we also probably are aware of the story when Aaron went to Mount Moriah. When Aaron, uh, I'm sorry, Abraham. When A- Abraham went to Mount Moriah, and he brought his son Isaac to offer him to the Lord. Correct? But you would also see on the same page where uh, the records of Abraham's cowardice or Abraham's uh, disobedience to the Lord or Abraham's weakness when he went to the land of Egypt. And in almost two occasions, um, Abraham uh, had his wife set up for, had his wife set up to commit adultery with a foreign king. And then when you go to the New Testament, you would also encounter records of Peter, right? Peter is a great man of God. 
uh, he, he has records of great uh, accounts of him exercising great faith. And then you would also see records of his failure here. And then when you just, when you continuously flip the pages of the Bible, you would see a constant pattern, records of God's people not only doing the good thing, not only records of victory, but also records of their failures and defeat. So like what I've said, we are going to look at Second Samuel chapter 11 this morning. And, you know, one, uh, uh, there's a commentator that says that when you look at the life of David, First um, Samuel seems to be the record of his way up, of his success. And then Second Samuel is the record of his way down or his defeat or failure. So in First Samuel, I will just uh, remind you, refresh you, uh, this is where he conquered the giant. And in Second Samuel, this is where he was conquered by a woman where he was conquered by his own lust, by his own desire. So 2 Samuel is the record of the fall of one man, one man of God, a message filled with pain, with sorrow, and sadness. So this is the kind of message that uh, sadly some pastors would not want to preach. Because there are pastors that would only preach about grace, blessings, um, love, and I don't have anything against with that. We should preach that and the people should hear the goodness of God. But what I'm saying is that we should always also preach the truth about the propensity of man to commit sin, the fallen nature of man. So we are not only to preach things that are alluring to the ears of our listeners, but we should preach also things that would convict the hearts of our people. So it's like preaching Second Samuel Second Samuel chapter 8, and then Second Samuel chapter 9, and then Second Samuel chapter 10, and then when you reach Second Samuel chapter 11, you just want to cough and turn the page on to the next second chapter, Second Samuel chapter 12. But actually this sermon is, like what I've said, the one I preached last week in Bethel, and, I, and this is an assigned text, so I really didn't have any choice. I really didn't have any, any option to divert from, from this one. But if Pastor Kyle gave me the option of you know, choosing my own text, I would probably go to the New Testament. But I personally believe that this text is here because God puts it here for us. It is a warning for all of us. So, okay, um, let's look at this text. Um, the title of my sermon is... The Fall of the King, How to Displease God. And the subtitle, How to Displease God, is taken from the last verse of our chapter. So, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Okay, point number one is, how to displease God. Number one is, do not do your job. You know, at this point, I'd like to underscore that the fall, that before the fall of David comes, his failure has already taken place. You know, sometimes we hear people confess to doing evil or cruel things, and we say that on such and such a day, they did this such and such a thing, and that was the day of their failure. But if we are going to look at the things behind the curtain, the things that is happening behind the curtain, then we would see 
that their failure actually happened before that day. And that's what happened with David. Uh, his scene with Bathsheba really was, like, was cultivated um, in his own heart long before that night when he was walking on the balcony of his room and saw a beautiful woman taking, taking a bath. So the story began here when David ignored his duty, when David decided not to do his job. So if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's very clear. You would see that most of the fighting people of Israel, most of the warriors of Israel um, went to war, headed by General Joab. But the last part of verse 1, it says that David remained at Jerusalem. So first thing that David did that set him up for his gravest sin or fall was he ignored his calling. Uh, had David been out in the battle as he used to, to do in the past, um, leading his people, giving them, giving them encouragement, instructions, and directions, he never would have been there that night on his rooftop, that night when he was tempted into committing sin. So in 2 Samuel, Aaron talked about this last week, 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17, it says, when it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. So David was so a part of this nation that every time the enemy of Israel would fight against Israel, they would always see them as fighting against David. So, but in chapter 11, it's different. Like what I've said, um, David decided to stay, to, to stay in his room. And I like what Charles Spurgeon said here. He said, idle men tempt the devil to tempt them. And Martin Luther says, said this one. He said, the idle mind is the playground of the devil. So remember this. Never abandon your post of duty. So as believers, what is that post of duty or duty that we are expected to do. Number one, we are expected a sacred, sacred duty to commune with the Lord in prayer. We are expected, it is a, a sweet responsibility, privilege to read the Word of God. Those are the important things that we have to do and not to ignore. So again, study the Word and commune with God in prayer. Do what is, God's what is God's desire in your life. So you cannot expect God's protection when you walk out of His uh, umbrella of His perfect will. When you are not doing what you are supposed to do, then you have already setting yourself self up for some greater fall or greater evil. So on this particular account, David stepped out of the umbrella of God's will. And the result was he lost God's direction and he lost God's leadership. And that was the will of God, you know, to have David go in the war. And, but again, David decided to stay in the palace. So when David decided to stay in the palace, that puts himself in a compromising position. So let's go back in verse 1 again. Look what happened here. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says, 1 Samuel 11 verse 1, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the king go out to battle. So according to some commentaries, the war during that time usually takes its break during the cold winter season. So during the cold winter season, the warriors would, would retreat, they would go back to their town, they would go back to their house, and they would spend the, the whole winter season with their families, with their wife. 
So they would put down their weapons, they would put down their their um their 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 spears or whatever they have. And then um these valiant soldiers, they're always ex excited for spring because spring season is the signal of the resumption of war. So every time the spring comes, they would get up and put back their armor, getting ready for war. So, but David was the same also. In chapter 10, last week, uh, Aaron preached on David leading the war. So um, I would think that be between chapter 10 and chapter 11, there is a, a winter season that allowed them to have a, a, a break from the war. And then in 11 uh, was the resumption of the war. David did the same thing. He took off his, his armor. He took off his, his, his weapons. Um, he took off everything, the physical armor, and he rested. But he also took off his spiritual armor. And David was uncovered and he was unprotected. So at this point, I would like to point out and I would like to underscore that David not only ignored his duty, but he also indulged in his desire. So in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, uh, verses uh, 16 and 17, God gave them a word. And God said, Israel, if, you, if the time comes and you would have a king that would rule over you, these are the requirements that I would like your king to stick. Number one, Let's read this. It says, uh, but, he shall not, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. In 17, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart, his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So God said, three things that I would like your king to to, to adhere, I'd like your king to follow. Number one, they are not to multiply horses because it would just lure them to go back to Egypt and I, that's, that's not good. Number two, the Lord said that they are not to multiply their wives for their wives will just turn their hearts away from me. And then number three, they are not to multiply themselves to themselves silver and gold. So if you are aware with the story in the Old Testament, particularly the story of David, you would agree to me when I say, if I say that David stick to the two requirements out of, that, out of the three. There is a passage in the Bible that speaks about David diminishing the number of horses. There is a passage in the Bible that talks about David donating his silver and gold, his wealth, for the construction of the temple. And there is also a passage in the Bible that talks about his wives. But this passage talks about him disobeying this. So let's look at 2 Samuel 5.13. It says, And David took more concubines and wives for Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. So David was a king. You know, he can have anyone, any, anyone he wanted in the kingdom in a snap of his finger. And then from here, we can tell that David truly indulged in his sexual desire. Now, the moment on the balcony when David saw Bathsheba was not a moment of isolation from his indulgence. You know, uh, there is an idea in our culture today that the way you deal with this kind of temptation is you give into it, is that you, you feed this appetite. I think this idea is wrong because the, this idea says when you feed it, it would go away. But when you do what David did, I think 
you will it does not diminish the the appetite the desire but it just increases it and it's get and it gets greater and greater every time you give into that so this kind of appetite this kind of desire is irresistible this is um you can never satisfy this one and the more david uh got uh, got from the women around him the more he wanted more and it was and the time came when he had to look for 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 other avenues that would satisfy his his desire that he fed for almost 20 years so again let me tell you this this kind of sin is never satisfied and its nature is to drag us lower and lower and it gets more and more daring in its opposition to god every time we commit so david was set up set up that night uh to to fall because of his his uh his uh i would say his his past and david was away from his duty and now david is is about to reap the fruit of 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 the long years of indulgence of his sexual desire and you know let me just pause here for a while and just share this to you you know we live in a culture that glorifies sin we live in a culture that exalts sin we live in a culture that promotes things that would feed our sexual appetites it is everywhere it is in the television channel it is in the magazines it is in the social media even if you're surfing in the internet innocently you can you can still encounter them so and also there is also a lot of things that a man can do to feed this kind of appetite and there is this attitude or thinking that if you do it this way you know then it would just go away but again the truth is uh, as we feed it it increases the hunger it increases the appetite and it sets us up for that one night where we would also have our great fall so okay so we have to be careful um so we'll probably say that when david sinned with bathsheba that was the moment of his failure again i would like us to realize that his failure was back in the preparation stage uh what we are seeing right now in chapter 11 is just the result of his or the result or the effect of his consistent feeding consistent uh, failure feeding of his uh indulge uh, indulgence so um number two point number two is how to displease god give in to temptation so the scripture tells us that there are that the that the, the, the fall of david uh took place through a number of things and i would like to name this as the anatomy of david's sin particularly on chapter 11 number one david initi- initiated the deed because in verse 2 you would read this verse it says then it happened one evening that david arose from his bed and walked on the rooftop a uh, roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold so maybe david went to his bed and when he went to his bed he decided well i'll just probably get a good rest here i'll get a good sleep but like many of us you know sometimes sleep doesn't come so easily So I don't know maybe David is thinking the good moments that he had earlier that day or maybe David is thinking about the war that is going on in the frontline battles. So but the scripture tells us 
um, David could not get a good a good sleep here. So David decided to walk on his rooftop, uh, rooftop of his palace, and most likely this palace is this structure is on top of other structures around. So as he walks along the rooftop, uh, he has a balcony, a wrap around balcony that oversees. Uh, the, 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 the structures close to the palace and then as he walks around there he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath and then some would probably ask what in the world Bathsheba was doing there right but I'd like to I'd like to say that like what I've said a while ago um, in that particular city on that particular time there is no structure that is taller than the palace so David really had a good vantage point to everything so, and the scripture does not tell us or the scripture does not give us any suggestion that Bathsheba was doing it for the intention of teasing David. So there is no, there is no, uh, uh, structure, uh, there is no uh, scripture that supports that idea. I think uh, she was just doing what she regularly do, innocently, you know, taking a shower, taking a bath uh, inside the walls of her, of her yard. And the, but, but David saw her, and then David uh, coveted. So in the next chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you are familiar again with, the, with, with this story, you would, uh, you would know that this is the chapter where Prophet Nathan uh, confronted David about his sin. And uh, he, he views this experience in a very interesting way because he tells David a parable a parable about this and this is what we read in verse verse 4 it says and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flag and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him but he, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him so nathan said he envisions david's temptation like this that while david was on the rooftop of his palace um, a traveler comes and then the traveler the traveler comes and the traveler, the traveler was in a form of thought, which is in the form of temptation. He said there are two things that the rich man could, uh, could, uh, could, could have met the, the need of this traveler. Um, number one, he could have gone to his own flock. He has a lot of flock to choose from, and by, by his own right, that's his. But instead of taking one, one of his women, he stole the little lamb, which was the only lamb that the man owned. So that's how Nathan pictured what David did here. So think about this one. Um, the rich man entertained the traveler. Likewise, the same thing. Uh, David entertained the temptation and the thought that he, he had during that night. So the next one is not only that David initiated this deed, but David also ignored the question of his servant you know i personally believe that in every temptation that we face in every uh in every temptations that we encounter along the way that there's always a number of way out but it doesn't matter what i say what matter is the word of god so let's let's look at what the word of god says about this one it says in first corinthians 10 13 no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may, you may be able to bear it. So, what is the way of escape here? 
there is always a way of escape if we only heed to it and if we trust the Lord. So, so when David, uh, um, when David saw the beautiful, uh, the beautiful Bathsheba, the Bible says that he called his servant, and let's let's name his servant as uh, John. He said, John, come here. I would like you to take this 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 beautiful woman to me. And then I thought it's interesting how John responded to, to David here. In verse 3, it says, this is, this is how the, the servant responded. It is not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. He said, wait, wait a minute, my king. I'm going to do what you're, you're asking me to do, but I'm just telling you that Bathsheba is a married woman. She is the wife of Uriah. So I think, you know, right then in the mind of David, he should have thought, you know, yes, you are right. You know, I should not even consider these things. This is not right. So, but, but David uh, did not respond to the question or to the inquiry of his servant. So David was caught in the passion of the moment, the moment and he just ignored the result of the things, of the sin. And in verse 4, it says here, so David sent messengers to took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. So that, that's the summary, basically, of David's sin. So it's a very short verse, very simple phrase, but the effect of it would change the course of David's life. One moment of, ple of pleasure and the rest was forever changed. So you see the, the severity, we would see the severity of the result of this action. And then point number three is, how to displease God? Cover up, cover up your sin. So now David has sinned and probably no one would discover and no one would know it. Maybe David called his servant and commanded him, hey, I would like you to zip your mouth. Don't tell anyone about what I asked you to do, okay? And David is the king. So he has all the authority and he has all the power to, to do that. So maybe David thought that, well, this is just the one thing that I broke the, I broke the law. And maybe I'll be able to, to, you know, to, to escape this, to escape this one and I'll never get caught. So I think everybody who does this kind of thing, we always think that um, we would never pay the consequences of what we're doing. So... But in verse 5, it says this one. And the woman conceived. So she went and told David and said, I am with a child. So I think that day when David heard the word, I am pregnant, I think that devastated David's, David's life. So you remember what is the punishment? You remember in the Hebrew, Hebrew law, what is the punishment for someone who is caught uh, doing adultery or in adultery? Uh -huh. Stone to death, correct? So, and I am very positive that David being the king would not experience this kind of punishment. But David is very worried that if the news would go out, people would hear about it, that he would lose his credibility. And that people would, 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 would just despise him. And David doesn't want that to happen because David is very uh, proud of his accomplishment as the king, as the ruler of the nation. So David now has a big problem. David in is in a uh, he is in a intersection here. 
he has to do he has to do a he has to make a decision to cover to cover this up it's either to confess or to cover up and confession seemed to be impossible for david seemed to be very hard for david so cover up seemed to be the only way so he devised a plan to trick uriah the husband of bathsheba so the first plan was to, uh, to send a message to the battlefront and he had uriah brought back home and when uriah was uh, you know uriah was in the battlefield he was fight he was he was battling he was fighting for the for for the nation of israel he was fighting for the king and he was fighting for their god but david is out to deceive him and look at verse 7 it says when uriah had come to him david asked how joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered so actually david doesn't care about all these small talks these are unnecessary things for david you know those are small talks to get down to the main issue here and in verse 8 it says look at this and david said to uriah go down to your house and wash your feet so uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him so now if you haven't figured out what uh, david is trying to do here um david is D david was trying to get uriah spend a night with his wife so when the baby was born you know they would not trace that baby from david's affair with Bathsheba. so every every everybody in the town would normally think that it's uriah's uriah's baby um in in Bathsheba's womb so david is trying to deceive uriah by spending a night with Bathsheba. and look at the last part of uh, verse 8 it says uh, so Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. So David is really setting up Uriah to have a good night with his wife here. But in verse 9 it says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Oh, David, you have a problem here. You see? Now, the night is over and David heard what happened and then David uh, approached uh, Uriah and said, "Why didn't you spend your your night with your wife?" And I thought this is pretty exciting how Uriah responded. And Uriah said in eleven, "The ark and the the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go out to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife, as you live?" And as your soul lives, I will not do these things. So do you hear what, what Uriah is saying here? And you know, he said, the ark of God is, is out there. And by the way, the ark of God is the symbol of God's presence in, in, in the nation of Israel. So um, that's very symbolic during the Old Testament. So he's, he's like saying the ark of God is out in the battlefield. And then um, my, 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 my general Joab and then um, some of my fellow fighters are living in the tent in the open field. Open field. So I can't just go home and relax and spend the time with my wife while these men are risking their lives, winning the battle for, for, for our God or for our nation. That's not right, my king. So Uriah was a nobleman. And I was just trying to imagine what David felt when he heard Uriah's response here. Um, probably David was swallowed by, by guilt. But I don't know. We will find out. Um, you know, there's nothing more miserable when you're living in sin when you 
are living in sin than being confronted by someone who is righteous. You know, it just makes you miserable. You can live with sinners, that's fine. But when you come across with a righteous individual and confronted you, it just breaks you. Amen? It's just tough. So, first attempt, failed. So David is not finished here. He would proceed to his second attempt to deceive Uriah. In verse 12, he says this, uh, David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. So David's next plan uh, was to get Uriah drunk. You know, he'll get drunk and then he'll go home and then he'll, he'll be received by his wife. Well, that sounds a good plan. So after his wife uh, receives him, then they would spend the night together. So, but, you know, David is in for another surprise here. David succeeded in getting Uriah drunk, but Uriah is not going home here. You know, Uriah decided when he was making his way out of the, the, the table, he, he just fell outside and slept with the fellow servants. So, okay. David's attempt to cover up his sin with deception is now over. So it didn't work. Now he's going next step higher. So he's going to cover up. He's going to do the cover up by distraction now. So, and this is going to be a really sad day in the life of David. Look at this one, verse 14 and 15. It says, In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and, said, and sent it by hand to Uriah. You remember that? He sent the letter to Uriah. And in 15 it says, he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the bat of the hottest battle and retreat from him and he may that he may he may be struck down and die. Die. So do you realize what David is saying here? So um he, he grabbed a paper, he, you know, he, he wrote a letter, he said, Dear Joab, know this and take this as a commandment from your king. This is your king's command. You know, this is a direct command from the throne of Israel. He said, put Uriah in the forefront, forefront battle where the, the fighting is so intense. And when it's time, leave him there. Abandon him so he may get killed. Signed, King of Israel, David, the sign of Jesse. Folded the paper, put it in an envelope, handed it to Uriah. To Uriah. So that's the story. So when David did that, I thought that's, I, you know, as I was studying this scripture, I said, but, you know, you, you, can, you, can hardly, you can clearly see the growing callous growing in the heart of David. He even handed the death, the death sentence of Uriah to Uriah himself to carry it to the, to the one who would execute it. So I would like to take this opportunity to remind all of us that, you know, like what I've started my sermon, I've started it by mentioning names that have gotten themselves in, in, difficult, in difficult situations. You know, there is no limit to the depth of sin uh, that we are all capable of when we start uh, walking away from the presence of God. You know, one leads to another, and before we realize it, we are already doing things that we have never imagined we are capable of. So, of course, uh, the Bible tells us what happened. The letter was brought to, um, to General Joab, and General Joab uh, executed the, uh, the command from David. So I was just wondering, what, you know, how did Joab respond to the letter after seeing it? 
he's probably asking himself, why would the king ask me to do his dirty work here? Uh, but, but then again, David is the king, so Joab had no choice but to follow the, the command of the king. So the news came back that Uriah is dead. And the scripture tells us that Bathsheba, when he heard the news, he mourned, but not very long. Because after that, David took her and brought her to the palace and made her as her wife. So David thought that, you know, it's all over. It's all covered up. You know, he said that nobody, he, you know, he couldn't do it by deception. Now he's doing it by, he did it by, by distraction. And he probably thought that nobody would know his secret here. And... You know, I'm thinking that probably after, after everything has settled down, probably David felt a little remorse of what happened to Uriah. But then again, I'm not sure. Because we would read in verse 25, David relayed a message to General Joab. And he said uh, that, Joab, don't worry about that. You know, people die in the war. That's normal. It's no biggie. That's not a big deal. Let's move forward. So David really thought that it's all over, that um, he'd gotten away from what he did. But this is an important verse that I would like us to remember as we talk about this. It says in 27, And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she came to his wife and bore a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So listen to this one. You know, There is no cover-up when the man who is watching us has the vantage, has the vantage point. Amen. When he has the vantage or the heavenly, heavenly, heavenly vantage point, you know, he can look past through all the cover-ups that we have in our lives and he will see it. We can deceive other people but not God. So, I have uh, three points here that I would like to share to you as I close my, my message. Um, the results, results of sin in our lives is based on the scripture that we are, we are studying. Number one, sin breaks our fellowship with God. You know, the thing that the king did broke his relationship with God. And, you know, for, for, just for additional information, between chapter 11 and chapter 12, there is a 12-month period. Chapter 11 is when David committed the sin. Chapter 12 is when David was confronted by prophet Nathan and repented of his sin. So for those who are musically inclined, songwriters, they can relate to this. It is hard to write a song when you are not inspired. Correct? It is hard to praise the Lord when you are not inspired. Amen? So I was thinking that during these 12 months, when David is harboring the sin in his heart, I was wondering if David could still even, if, if, if he was able to praise the Lord during that time. David is a musician. We know that, right? I was thinking that during this 12-month period that all of David's harp musical instruments are stored in the palace storehouse, he couldn't touch it. He couldn't use it to praise God. So, like what I've said, uh, the thing that David did broke his fellowship with the Lord. And it crushed David, uh, David's heart inside. Number two, the uh, result of sin in our lives is that sin sets up us. Uh, sets us up to be a bad testimony before the wicked. And look at this one. 2 Samuel 12, 14. It says, however, uh, Nathan is, talk, uh, is talking to David. However, because 
by this deed you have given great occasions to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So Nathan is talking to David here and he's saying, David, you know what you did? You just gave the enemy of God a reason to blaspheme him. You know, as Christians, um, we proclaim to the world that we are Christians. You know, they know we are Christians. We post Bible verses on Facebook and, and whatever. We have uh, car stickers. We have different uh, things that identify us as Christians. But I would like us to remind ourselves that the world examines us under a microscope. When they see us, they see us using the lens. They really examine our lives. So I hope every time we are faced with temptation, we are reminded that it is not our reputation that is at stake, but it is the reputation and the name of God that is at stake here. Amen. So third is sin hardens our hearts. You know, I, I could not really fully explain this one. I don't have a lot of words to say about this. But um, I think what happened to David as the result of this sin is that he became aggressive. And for those of you who remember the story, especially in chapter 12, do you remember when Nathan came to David and tell David about the story about this man, rich man, who stole a, a lamb from this, uh, from this uh, one man who owned just a single lamb? You know, and... Nathan said, so what should we do with this rich man who stole this one? You remember what David, how David responded to that? Kill him, kill him, kill him. You know, if you would remember, according to the Jewish law, all you have to do is, for cases like that, all you have to do is to restore it fourfold. You don't have to kill the person. You just have to restore it fourfold. But David said, kill him, kill him, kill him. So David is telling uh, Nathan is telling David his own story. He didn't realize that. And David was so fired up. That's why he said, we should kill that man. We should kill that man. So I thought that's very interesting. You know, Very interesting to, to observe that we are the most intolerant of others in the area of our own personal sin. You know, we are not too gracious about it. And, correct? Amen? You can say amen. If you cannot say amen, say ouch. <laughs> anyway, you know, I think it's important for us to remember to remember the beginning of sin. It is important for us to remember that we are we cannot let Satan um cannot let say, Satan uh take the advantage because he can use that to set us up for one night of failure. And I would like to po- uh, another point that I would like to share here is that there is no security in age. David is 50 years old here. And the, the, the hot blood of youth no longer flows through his, brain, his veins. But David indulged himself for a very long time. And instead of you know, getting to a place where you think you are safe, it seems like you know, that's, that place is where the temptation is the strongest. So again, there is no security in age. And I would just, I would just like us to remember that um, we have to be on guard at all times. Um, so that's the story of David. And I will not let my message today end in a very thorough note or depressing note. Because every depressing message in the Bible, we always have to look up to Jesus Christ and see that there is always hope. So the best news is here. David was forgiven and God restored him. In chapter 12, uh, verse 13, 
It says here, And Nathan said to David, The Lord, has, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. You know, like what I've said, this chapter 11 is a message that is full of uh, sorrow, sadness. But I would like us to bring us to Jesus Christ, who is the answer to everything. You know, and for some of us who, who probably uh, have been into this situation and we say, well, you know, I've messed up and it's over. I don't know what else to do. Um, I'd just like to share one, one more passage. You know how, you know how God uh, summarizes David's life? Um, look at this one. First King 15, 5. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and had not turned aside from anything that he had commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. You know, when God looked at our lives after we've, we've come to him, repented of our sin and forgiven, you know, he viewed our sin as an exemption, ex- exception. You know, and I think that's a good thing to remember. Um, but you know what we do? Every time we talk about someone who committed a sin, the first thing that comes to our mind are the, their, 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 flawed, their, their flaws, their, their, their mistakes. And, and I think that's wrong because that's not how God views us. You know, after, after this person come to, the, come to Christ, repented and, 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 and was forgiven, I think we should also see them as how God sees David. With sin as the exemption, God sees the perfect, perfect, uh, perfect uh, records of David with the exception of this one. So that's 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 how we should uh, view view other people who have come to this uh, failure also. So again, my prayer this morning is that um, we learn from the story of David, and then we also I also pray that we would also take the word of God as a warning, as a serious warning for all of us. Amen. So, let's close in prayer. Father in, Father in, in God, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for your greatness. I thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty. Lord, my prayer today is that you would continuously give us a heart that is convicted to worship and honor you. Lord, give us a heart that would reject sin in our lives. Give us a heart, Lord, that would mourn every time we would commit transgression against your holiness. Father, allow your Holy Spirit to continuously work in us and allow us, Lord, to magnify and exalt your name. Father, I pray for this church. I pray, Father, that you would continuously remind them, Lord, that they are special to you. Lord, wherever they meet, whatever, whatever, whatever the situation is, Lord, um, we worship, we praise one and holy God. Lord, again, I pray for the leadership of this church, for Pastor Joe, and for for everyone, Lord, that they would feel the satisfaction, that they would feel the gladness in their hearts as they serve you. Lord, I pray that they would see your hands working every day, every week, and that they would just be directed to you to exalt you and praise you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.